while I was picking pathology as a specialty, when I was, I was a young doctor, I didn't know this much about it. So I want the students, the medical students to learn more and more about it. And if uh, I can contribute to just one or two of them to, you know, pick something they love, then uh, that's a bonus for me. So yeah, that's something I want to keep doing in the future. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. The need for pathology advocacy is a common theme in this podcast, and we've seen a lot of innovative ways to do this in recent years. My guest today is Dr. Elu Gun. She's a pathologist in Turkey. As we talk about her career so far, you'll hear the many ways that she advocates for pathology, including the Path Art Contest, which you may have seen on Twitter. We'll also talk about her involvement with the Endometriosis Foundation of America and their publication, Endo News. All right, here's Dr. Elu Gun. Now, the place I wanted to start with you, kind of go way back to the beginning, because I know you spent some time here in the U.S. when you were younger, when you were high school age, you were an exchange student. So I'm curious about that. Like, how, how did that opportunity to come to the U.S. Uh, come about? And, and why did you choose the U.S. in particular? Yeah, I, I uh, was an exchange student in the U.S. when I was in the high school. It goes way back uh, to my interest for foreign languages, actually. It started with English in Turkey because there's an established language education program starting from primary school here. And when my, when my parents saw my interest in learning English, they also enrolled me in a private English course and, as an extracurricular activity. And... Um, a good high school education and going to a good university is a top priority in our country. Therefore, I had an intense schooling period in high school and hadn't had the chance to go abroad during my childhood years. But when I was a senior in high school, uh, we came to know about the organization AFS, which stands for American Field Service. It is an international high school exchange program. And our neighbor's son, who was a year older than me, had gone to the U.S. with this program when I was a senior. And my parents, who were uh, not letting me go out of the house <laughs> for, you know, long years, they saw uh, how he improved there. And then they started thinking about sending me as well. And I was also lucky to be surrounded by a group of friends who were also interested in this program. So it was easier to decide for our families and act on it. We all got to go to a small exam on general culture and an interview after that, we were selected by AFS as exchange students. And then uh, we were made to choose the countries we wanted to go. And the reason I chose to go to the U.S. was, well, um, when I think about it now as an adult who traveled around the world, I guess it was mostly because I was influenced by the American culture back then and the language around that time as a teenager. I was a competitive swimmer uh, in high school. I was a fan of Michael Phelps. <laughs> Uh, and I was a basketball player. Okay. And so I was a frequent audience of the NBA games. I used to get up like in the middle of the night to watch the games because of the time difference. And also I grew up listening to songs of American artists and bands and also the movies, you know. So we submitted mm -hmm. our applications along with a little summary of our lives in our home countries, like what our passions were, our hobbies and how our family structure was, those kind of things. And I was very excited when I saw that I was chosen by a host family in Cleveland, Ohio. 
because it was back in 2007, right, when the Cavs were the Eastern champions. So they played in the finals and I was very excited to like go see the, you know, NBA games. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that came about like that. And um, it turned out to be the best years of one of the best years of my life. I made such great memories and friends whom I still talk to. I attended Cleveland Heights High School as a senior. I swam for the school's team, Tiger Sharks, uh, during the winter season. Uh, also went to sectionals with them, which was a great experience. Um, and also when spring came, I learned how to play a very American sport, lacrosse. It was not just all about sports, of course. We were given the choice to graduate by taking the necessary classes and passing the graduation test. In Ohio, it's OGT. And I did that. I also graduated from high school in the U.S. And also I joined the Model UN team, Model United Nations. I fundraised and traveled with them to the conference. And uh, lastly, I was also involved in a project called the Senior Project, in which the successful seniors were given the chance to take one month off of school and go shadow a profession that they are interested in and then make a presentation about the experience. I thought it was really a great way for high schoolers to decide on their future. Uh, that was something I wasn't really given the chance to in Turkey. Uh, I already knew back then I was going to med school after I got back to my home country. So I chose to do the project in a nearby hospital, which was the University Hospitals of Cleveland, of Case Western Reserve University. And I was very lucky to meet a Turkish ophthalmologist there, actually, on my first day, who then became my supervisor for the rest of the month. And it was an unforgettable experience. Okay, that's that's great. That's a great story. Was there anything about the, the uh, American culture that you didn't expect that was kind of a surprise to you at the time? Yeah, uh, you know, when you look at America from like very far away, you think like it's uh, a country just like ours, just like one culture. But when I went there, I was very, you know, um, interested in seeing all these cultures from all around the world blended together. I mean, I ate my first Thai food there. I went to my first, you know, Hollywood musical there. Uh, it's just a lot of a blend of a lot of things. I had a lot of uh, families who moved to America from different parts of the world. So it really opened my eyes to the world. That's why I mention it as one of the best years of my life. Okay. Okay. I, that makes sense. I like that. Now you mentioned earlier that you, you know, you had, you had learned English and you were, had an interest in foreign languages. And I think you, you have at least a kind of a basic proficiency in like five languages now. Is that right? Yeah, I, I have Spanish, uh, Italian, because they are very close. Uh, and I know Turkish, English, just a little bit German. Uh, I don't have enough time for any more languages, but I'm like a really <laughs> <laughs> interested. In, I really, I'm really interested in linguistics. That's something I'm passionate about. Yeah. Where did that come from, that, that kind of interest? No idea since my childhood. Okay. Well, the Spanish comes from uh, my best friend who was also an exchange student while we were in the U.S. Uh, he was from Chile. And, you know, Spanish was in Cleveland. Spanish was the uh, first foreign language that they spoke uh, along with German. Uh, so um, apart from English, I got to learn some Spanish there. And then I started learning more and more as I got to know the world because, uh, you know, um, I think after Chinese, it's the second most spoken language in the world, Spanish. And English comes yeah. third, I think. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Like I, I understand the kind of interest in languages. I mean, I have kind of a basic understanding of Spanish and a little bit of French. And I started actually learning Portuguese uh, not too long ago. So I, I can understand just kind of dabbling in those different uh, languages. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Now, you said that w- when you were here in, in the U.S. For, for the exchange program that you had already known that you wanted to go to medical school. Yeah. How, how did you decide that? Before I went to the U.S., I had already graduated from high school in Turkey. And um, in Turkey, we have an entrance exam for university right after we graduate. And to go to university, uh, we have to pass that test and like get a certain rank. And then depending on your score, uh, you get to choose the you know profession and the university you want to go to. And for those interested in science and math, uh, in Turkey, medicine and engineering have always been the top choices because uh, a guaranteed job. Uh, is there for you after graduation. So most of us who were hardworking students picked one or the other. I was always interested in biology and like human genetics. Uh, That's why I chose medicine. And so I took the exam right before I traveled to the US. I found out there that I was in med school while I was a senior in high school there. So I got back from the US and started my first year of med school in Turkey. Now, since you had been working with an ophthalmologist in Cleveland, is that kind of the specialty that you intended to go into? Yeah, well, um, that was just as a surprise, but uh, it was really interesting for me because uh, I got to go through, you know, the operating rooms uh, in that hospital uh, when I had free time. So at the beginning of my med school years, I was really into surgery. And as I rotated through each specialty, I figured it would take so much of my life, you know, as a woman, <laughs> because I wanted to become a mother at some point. So, and I'm a thin and tall person. <laughs> That's funny, but I had trouble standing up through all those long surgeries. They sometimes took hours, you know, in med school, I would sometimes faint because I had, uh, I have low, uh, low blood pressure. So then I was, I started thinking maybe I could get into a minor surgical specialty like ophthalmology. So you're probably thinking where is pathology and all that, right? (laughs) Um, Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that comes to the point that when we graduate uh, from medical school in Turkey, we are immediately sent uh, on compulsory service for two years throughout the country as general practitioners to work in the ERs. And if you want to become a specialist uh, during that time, there comes another exam. <laughs> so we are a country of exams. Um, this is considered one of the hardest exams in medicine in the world. And it takes its toll on you with the focus, the time and the energy it consumes. So on that point, some people decide, okay, enough is enough. I'm a doctor and I will continue to work in general practice. Whereas um, others who are still ambitious uh, take a specialty exam. And depending on the test results, we are ranked once more and made to pick departments and hospitals and cities on the points we get from the exam. That uh, that, that sounds actually really complicated and probably probably a bit stressful at the time, just yeah. getting through all those exams. Yeah. So by the time I took this exam, I had been working as a general practitioner in an ER uh, in a small town, and I was a newlywed. <laughs> I had 24-hour shifts and I kept thinking, I don't want my life to be like this. Like, I don't want to spend nights at the hospitals anymore. Okay, it was fine when I was young, like when I was doing my internships. 
But then uh, as I get, you know, as I got older, I started thinking like, okay, this is not the life I want for my future. I also had some bad experiences with some patients. Um, I get really, you know, knocked down when some people talk uh, badly uh, about the profession, you know, uh, they were not always appreciative of our sacrifices as doctors. And I know it's the case all around the world, but I'm that kind of person that uh, gets um, really sad when I, I hear those things. And I started feeling like I didn't want to deal with people anymore. And But I still love medicine. I still love reading about it. And that time, one of my closest friends got into a pathology program before me, and he was very happy with it. So when my test results came back, I had already decided I wanted, I wanted to try at least pathology. And I was lucky to have been placed in a hospital in the city I wanted to live in. And uh, the rest is history. Um, I got into pathology residency in 2015, and I love my profession more and more every day. Okay. I, I like it. That's, that's a great story. <laughs> Did you have any kind of mentors at that time that, that helped us to steer your path, especially into pathology? Uh, yeah, I, my husband is a forensic medicine specialist and, oh, um, okay. yeah, they, um, he's a little older than me. So when I was a student, he was already, uh, a resident and I got to, you know, see some autopsies, but let me just say, uh, forensic medicine is completely different, uh, in Turkey from the rest of the, you know, most of the world, I could say, because forensic medicine and pathology are two separate specialties. So, uh, forensic medicine specialists do not perform histopathological examination. They only perform the autopsies and work together with pathologists. So I had some experience there, but I didn't completely know what I was getting into. Um, so in that sense, I think I was lucky that I chose something I like now. Well, can, can we talk more about kind of the, the difference between forensic medicine and pathology then? Because that's that's interesting. I think that's that is pretty unique because I know you have you have an interest in forensic medicine as well. Like, is there additional training required or, or how does like how does that work? Um, yeah, so forensic pathology education is not um, something a, a different specialty subspecialty like in the U.S. We actually uh, are a bunch of just we are maybe 20, 25 forensic pathologists in Turkey. So after we finish our residencies, uh, we are again uh, sent on a compulsory service inside the country. You could end up wherever I mean any any other place. So. I was actually uh, recently appointed to work in a forensic medicine council. That's how I ended up in forensic pathology. Um, you could end up like in a little town hospital or like a big university hospital. That's just luck. Um, so that's how I ended up here. But then as I started in forensic pathology, I saw the you know lack of uh, education uh, during our training. So uh, currently, um, I'm like doing surveys about it, and we are trying to, you know, promote forensic pathology for uh, for our training years, so that we get to know more about it. So we work together with uh, forensic medicine specialists and like microbiologists. Uh, we do the post mortem um, macroscopical and microscopical examination. Uh, and uh, the cause of death is determined with all these findings together by the forensic medicine specialists at the end. 
Now, there, there's a couple other subspecialties that you're involved with. So these are gynecological and then urological pathology. And I'm curious about these, like, how did you become interested in them? Yeah, so I did my residency in a university hospital, uh, which was also a tertiary reference center that had around 50,000 cases a year. And most of these cases belong to uh, GI, urinary and gynecological pathology. And as I rotated through each subspecialty, I grew interested in some of them. I don't know how it really happens, but um, in my experience, I was getting excited to see what was on the slide when I was working with those subspecialties. And uh, apart from urinary and gynecological pathology, I am also interested in neuropathology. Um, it seems very hard to comprehend in the beginning compared to the others, in my opinion. And, you know, with the new WHO classification, uh, molecular studies are a must to be able to make a clear diagnosis. But um, I have always been fascinated with the brain uh, and its structure. So I'm intrigued to learn more. That's something that's a, that's one of my goals, like to learn more about neuropathology in the future. So, but you may have realized we do not have official subspecialties in Turkey, like in the U.S. We only have the cytopathology, Mm -hmm. which is a two-year subspecialty program after finishing four years of uh, a general pathology residency. So once we are finished with our residency, we are again, I told you, sent on compulsory service. So if you are lucky, um, if you end up in a big hospital, you can choose what you want to, you know, specialize in. But that's not always the case. So uh, after we um, finish our residency, we are all general pathologists who are supposed to, you know, look at all different subspecialties, which makes the profession pretty hard for, you know, Turkish pathologists at the moment. Yeah, I I can understand that, like, because especially like you mentioned with with neuropathology, and there are so many uh, molecular tests in that subspecialty itself, not to mention all of the others in the other subspecialties. So that, that's that got to be difficult to kind of keep on top of all of that instead of just one area. Yeah, that's true. Going back to, to forensics then, because I know you're part of the Council of Forensic Medicine in Turkey. And I'm curious about this council. Like, what is what is it? Yeah. So um, I, as I said, I was appointed to work here uh, because they needed pathologists. Uh, they were short of pathologists at the moment I finished my residency. And the council is the head of foreign, all forensic medicine laboratories in Turkey. It's located in Istanbul. There are around 300 forensic medicine specialists working here in different uh, councils. I could say they all take care of different things um, such as like sexual abuse victims or like uh, because I'm not a you know specialist of that field I'm not really um, knowledge about it too much but I work in the morgue department with the you know forensic medicine specialists that are doing the autopsies here yes the council is the head of all forensic medicine uh, laboratories in Turkey okay I see that's probably similar to like the uh, what's called the name here in the U.S. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell me about the Social Media Commission because I know you're you're uh, you're kind of very involved with this, and, th- and then I want to get into some of the activities that you've been involved with there. Yeah, sure. So the Social Media Commission is um, a group of pathologists uh, under the Federation of Turkish Pathology Societies. Uh, it's formed of uh, volunteer pathologists who want to raise awareness about pathology among the public and medical professionals. 
because uh, it started with the idea that pathology is not a very well-known specialty in our country. And our team was actually found as a way to introduce the profession because when you go out and when someone asks you, so what kind of doctor are you? And you go, I'm a pathologist. And they go, oh, so you work in a lab just to do what mm-hmm. exactly? So you know what I mean? So we, uh, f- uh, this uh, group of pathologists got together to, you know, uh, introduce our profession. And it's been um, more than seven years. Uh, I I got into it a little late, but then we started working uh, we started doing a lot of uh, nice organizations. Uh, some of them, we, every year we organize banners, uh, for example, and make videos about pathology for the International Pathology Day and also the National Cancer Week. Our banners say stuff like, um, so do you know who uh, diagnoses your cancer, for example, for the public? And also for mm-hmm. the other medical health professionals, we, d- we p- uh, use stuff like, Pathology is the tree of medicine. <laughs> so without pathology, medicine is just a guess. This is a quote by the, you know, infamous uh, Sanjay Mukhopadhyay from Path to Wither. Uh, one time oh, he yeah. used his words uh, and he, he gave us his permission and that banner came out to be pretty nice, actually. So, so we do stuff like this to raise awareness. So then, uh, where are you putting these banners and things? Are these like in online? Uh, just like, like, uh, yeah, oh, okay. we yeah we also print them out and put it around our hospitals in Turkey, around our like pathology departments, and also we uh, because you know online now is just a great source of you know spreading things like this. So we usually use Twitter for that, also our Facebook page. Okay, I see. So it's kind of just trying to spread sort of a general awareness of pathology uh, throughout not only medicine, but the the public as well. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Elu Goon. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Whether you're working hard at the grossing bench, the autopsy table, behind a microscope, or any other area of the medical laboratory, there's one thing that we all need. Comfortable scrubs. The scrubs that I wear come from Dressamed. This is a company in California, and they've been making high-quality scrubs since 1980. They have a variety of styles and colors to choose from. As a matter of fact, I just ordered a set of the new soft stretch scrubs, so I'm looking forward to trying those out. You can check out Dressamed by following the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up for their loyalty program, where every order will earn you points towards special offers and discounts. Now, here's the rest of my conversation with Dr. Elul Goon on the People of Pathology podcast. Okay, yeah. and and one one of the other things that this commission does is called the Path Art Contest. Yeah, tell me about this because this I saw I saw some of the the photos from this, and they're they're really interesting. The idea of using path art uh, as a science and art activity initiative was um, first discussed and agreed upon our meetings of our committee. And shortly after, 
we started doing this contest in collaboration with the Turkish Journal of Pathology. We also wanted to raise awareness about uh, of our journal, you know, and then uh, we introduced the first international path art uh, microphotography contest in 2017, actually. And uh, at, at first, a contest jury was formed from willing members of our committee, and this jury established the date and the rules of the contest. But now it's become a tradition and we are actually on the sixth year. Uh, at the end of uh, this month, uh, December, uh, we are going to announce the winners. Um, so we announce the contest online every year and throughout uh, different social media channels, pathologists from all around the world vote for the participants' artwork. And then the contest jury makes the final decision. And um, in the latest years, uh, we made it more interesting by inviting other pathologists, photographers and sculpture artists uh, interested in path art to the jury, to join the jury. The winners are usually determined as a result of voting in a meeting. And each year we give awards in different categories, uh, depending on that year, on the quality and the quantity of the photomicrographs. Uh, we always have a first, second, and third place. And but uh, in the past, we have had categories such as jury special awards, social media awards, and in 2020, because it was the pandemic going on still, the, we had Corona Path special award, for example. And we announced the contest winners on the journal's website. And the first three winning artwork are put on the cover page of the Turkish Journal of Pathology's January issue every year. In addition, until the pandemic started, selected artwork was printed and exhibited at that year's National Pathology Congress in Turkey, which attracted many people. And actually, there was also a public art gallery exhibition for the public interest uh, in 2019, which was broadcasted live on national television. So that was a great thing for us to, you know, raise awareness about pathology throughout the public. Well, that That's great that there's actually a, a public display of this. Do, do a lot of people come to that? Uh, that was actually done once uh, in 2019, okay. just before the pandemic. But yeah, a lot of people were interested in it. It was done um, in Ankara, uh, the capital of Turkey, uh, that is known for like a lot of art exhibitions. And uh, people, uh, you know, the shapes and the colors are endless in pathology and you can just create many things. So people are always interested in them. And that's a great way to promote promote our profession, we think. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a, that's a great idea. I think that that should be done in more places, really. Um, I wanted to talk about Twitter a little bit because that's actually how we kind of came in contact with each other. And you, you use Twitter as a way of teaching about pathology. I'm curious about the teaching aspect. Like, how did you become interested in teaching, especially about pathology? Yeah, so I first signed up on Twitter to learn uh, pathology, actually, because I was just like a resident. And as I got more experienced in it, I started sharing my own cases. You also know our community get, that goes by the name Path Twitter has been growing so much lately. And it's a magnificent way to be in touch with the people from in pathology from all over the world. I actually was using it at first, like, let's say you have a difficult case and you need other opinions, because as we all know, pathology is not a straightforward specialty. And we usually need uh, opinions of others um, before deciding on certain diagnoses. 
So uh, you post some pictures of the case on Twitter and bam, you have your opinions uh, from the best people in the field uh, in a matter of hours. That's something very special. And I actually saw many entities for the first time on Twitter and became aware of them. So I'm at first, I'm teaching myself. And then I believe knowledge spreads with sharing. So in my free time, I try to share as much as possible. Needless to say, I got to meet some great people because of it. Like, as you said, this podcast was possible because of Twitter. But apart from that, I, I love teaching. I love, uh, I have always loved it, but I don't have a teaching degree yet because I'm only on my second year of my pathologist I, as a specialist. I am a pathologist mm-hmm. specialist in Turkey. I and mean, it's only my second year, but I got to, um, I got the chance to uh, give out some lessons to the second year medical students last year. And which was really nice for me to, this is also a way for me to, you know, spread some love of pathology to the others. Because when I was in medical school, it was not like this. Uh, when, while I was picking pathology as a specialty, when I was, I was a young doctor, I didn't know this much about it. So I want the students, the medical students to learn more and more about it. And if uh, I can contribute to just one or two of them to, you know, pick something they love, then uh, that's a bonus for me. So yeah, that's something I want to keep doing in the future. Yeah. I I wanted to ask you about that because in the U S it's like that as well. Like a lot of medical students don't know about pathology. And so they, of course they don't pick it as a specialty because they haven't heard of it or they have very little exposure to it. So it seems like it's similar there in Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Uh, but as you know, pathologies, um, we are not many specialists in Turkey. I, I think it's the same case with a lot of countries around the world. There are not many pathologists. Uh, so, uh, as, uh, much as we want people to pick pathology, that's not always the case. So, uh, Raising awareness during medical school uh, is also a good uh, thing to do to, you know, gain more people. Yeah, definitely. And, and probably even before medical school as well. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I wanted to kind of switch topics here. Now, I, I know you're involved with the Endometriosis Foundation of America, and you also write for there. I guess it's a, a newsletter called Endo News. Yeah. So <clears throat> tell me about this. Like, how did you, how did you get involved with this organization? Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. Uh, this is also something I'm very passionate about. So the Endometriosis Foundation of America is a nonprofit organization, and it was um, founded by Dr. Tamer Sechkin, who is a Turkish and currently a New York-based gynecologist and a specialist in the field of endometriosis. Uh, he founded this organization along with Padma Lakshmi, who is a famous Indian-American author, activist, and a TV host. And um, operating through this foundation, Endonews.com is a website that is a service provided by Dr. Sechkin. And uh, actually, the editor-in-chief is also a pathologist uh, who is highly specialized in gynecopathology, specifically on endometriosis. Her name is Dr. Aisha Aihan, and she currently works in Japan. And Endonews uh, aims to raise awareness again, uh, aims to raise awareness and support for women who are struggling with the disease because um, it is very underdiagnosed throughout the world. Uh, one in every 10 women actually have endometriosis and they don't know it. And uh, there is a huge, you know, uh, delay in diagnosis. It's, it goes up to almost 10 years in some studies. 
So um, my involvement with uh, Endonews started when, with, when one of my professors from my residency years asked me if I wanted to be a part of the team uh, because I have good English and introduced me to Professor Aisha Ayhan. Since then, by providing summaries of the latest scientific articles and research developments in the field of endometriosis from all around the world, uh, we try to uh, give our readers uh, a better understanding of the disease that affects many women worldwide. And we try to keep um, them up to date with emerging potential treatments uh, because it's also undertreated in most of the world. And uh, the website and the news actually addresses physicians who are interested in the disease and, of course, some of the patients. Uh, but I want to add that there is also another web page of Endometriosis Foundation of America that addresses uh, the patients uh, directly, and it's called The Blossom. Uh, yeah, so that's um, that's been something I really like because as doctors, it's always important for us to raise awareness on entities like this that are underdiagnosed. And um, it it makes me happy to know that I am helping these patients somehow because I have uh, friends who are also endometriosis survivors. So I kind of, uh, you know, get what they feel. Yeah, I have I have a, a family member that's that has endometriosis as well, and uh, it yeah, like you said about the the you know almost ten years to get diagnosed, that was her experience, and it it seems that seems crazy to me. Yeah. I feel like you know in my in my job as a, as a pathologist assistant, it does seem like we see a lot of cases of endometriosis that were you know that, that were unknown, that were undiagnosed, and we just yeah. happened to find them during during uh grossing so that's that's interesting and I'm, I'm glad you're doing this kind of work um with endo news uh with the endometriosis foundation i'll definitely include links to both of those as well as the other the other website you mentioned i'll include all of those links in the show notes for this episode because i think this is really important yeah thank you now you've been involved with the european society of pathologists and you're actually a diplomat with the royal college of pathologists in the uk and this is interesting because I'm curious about these sort of international uh, collaborations. Like, uh, how important do you think that that international aspect will be for the future of the field of pathology? I think it's highly important because, um, you know, uh, it all started uh, with my interest in different countries uh, in my year in the U.S., actually. So as I got into pathology, I looked for, uh, you know, organizations around the world. Uh, there is, we you know, uh, the United States and Canadian Academy of Pathologists, the USCAP. And then we, but, but America is a little far away from Turkey. So I wanted to be involved in something that is, that was closer home. Uh, so I found out that, uh, European Society of Pathology, uh, organizes congresses every year in a different, uh, European, uh, country, which is great for me because I love traveling. And we have a saying in Turkish that um, I got to, you know, hit two birds with one stone because uh, I went to around four of their congresses throughout my residency years. Uh, they give, uh, the ESP gives bursaries uh, to the residents if they submit a paper uh, to their congresses. This is very important for young career pathologists to be involved in scientific meetings like this. So I have been a member of ESP since I started my residency. Also, I uh, got to 
you know, be a member of the Royal College of Pathologists as well. And these types of international collaborations are so, so important because we are not going to, you know, solve the puzzle of pathology all by ourselves. Uh, there are some diseases that are uh, very, you know, unknown uh, by some parts of the world. So only by collaborating, uh, it is possible to, you know, uh, get some uh, knowledge about all of this. Okay, that may, that makes sense. And yeah, I've had I've talked to talked to a few people that have been part of the at least the European Society of Pathology uh, in the past, and I just like the as- aspect of like having all these different countries sort of represented, and and you know d- and discussing different uh, different issues maybe within their kind of patient population that might not be the case in other countries. So that's good to get a different. Um, point of view yeah yeah so your involvement with the with the royal college of pathologists that actually has led to a recent opportunity for you and i'm curious if you can uh talk about that yeah of course so um most turkish pathologists look for opportunities abroad uh for different reasons like some want to get involved in a research project some do it for the experience and to become more knowledgeable and i was always somehow connected abroad uh, after my afs year and I was thinking of doing a couple of months of observership in a country. Initially, I thought going to the U.S. Uh, would be a good idea. Uh, that would uh, mean that I would get to see my friends and host family and gain broad experience. But again, uh, there's a saying that I really like. Life is what happens to you when you are busy making other plans. So while I was planning... <laughs> yep. When I, while I was planning on spending some time in the U.S. in a pathology laboratory for a couple of months, I found out that I was pregnant with twins, uh, which prevented me to travel abroad from traveling abroad. So um, after my twins grew up, uh, we, twin moms will understand, which was pretty hard. I had to have a career break in the in the um, beginning. Uh, after I got back to work, I looked for similar opportunities around the world and found out that with some postgraduate examinations, I could gain some experience in the UK. And I actually was recently accepted uh, into a fellowship position in the UK. And uh, it's still a process, but if it all goes well uh, and I have my registration there, I will uh, start working there soon. Okay. Have you been to the UK before? No. (laughs) I plan to go to the Congress of ESP in Glasgow in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. I had had three presentations there. I was pretty pumped about it. It would be my first time in the country, and then I would go around a little after the Congress, but then the pandemic happened. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's something. Yeah. That's interesting that I will go work somewhere that I've never been before. Pretty exciting, actually. Yeah. Although I heard that the uh, the Congress next year is in uh, Ireland, so that's yeah, yeah. Again, it's uh, coming back. Close. <laughs> yeah. All right, that, that's interesting. I I, uh, I look forward to hearing more about that as as it develops for you. Thank you. That's uh, that's really cool. Okay, I'm glad we had the uh, opportunity to talk today. I enjoyed uh, learning more about you and about you know kind of pathology in in Turkey as well as the other kind of international activities that you have going on. So, uh, Dr. Elu Goon, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. And I also want to thank you very much for, you know, uh, broadcasting this podcast, uh, which is, which gets more and more interesting for me at, at least, uh, with every other episode. So thank you. 
Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you're you for welcome. that. <laughs> if you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, here's a trailer from my interview with Dr. Olaleki Fularanmi. We talk a lot about international collaborations and his use of social media to facilitate that. Here's a quick listen. In Africa, we are doing our best, but it, it doesn't get to the outside world because of the constraints in finances. I mean, how many people can actually afford to attend um, international conferences? I doubt it. I don't think anybody's salary can actually pay for even the um, transport or lodging to, to get to an international conference for collaboration. But right now, on social media, we collaborate. I mentioned in my paper how we collaborated on using um, artificial intelligence to analyze histology images. I'm trying to design if the machine learning can distinguish between benign management. And there were so many pathologists all over the world who contributed cases. This is only possible through social media. So I think it's a good opportunity for us to, to collaborate. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Dr. Fuller on me in episode 116. I always find it really interesting to hear about the innovative ways that people are trying to spread the word about pathology. So big thanks to Dr. A. Lagoon for not only doing that, but also being a guest here on the show today. And of course, I also like getting perspectives from different countries about the field of pathology. And it was interesting to hear about how forensic medicine uh, works a little bit differently there in Turkey. And I look forward to seeing what the future brings for her as far as her possible opportunity in the UK. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything that we talked about today. Don't forget you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, you can check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.